Big shiny tunes 10. That's what I want to flee. <laughs> yeah, this after after a, a resounding success of Big Shiny Tunes 9 in terms of Big Shiny Tunes successes. Yeah. Uh this this was a real letdown. They still took some risks. They put it they put it out there. They just took the wrong risks this time. And part of me, I appreciate the attempt. Yeah, me too. I never thought in any existence that I would say that Bedouin sound clash does all the heavy lifting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I I maintain that the gorillas are a wonderful thing, but we'll get into why Jordan disagrees in the episode. They gave it a shot. They tried some different things. Um and it just didn't to, even on the bands that we like, they sort of it felt like they picked the wrong songs, which was a shame. Yeah, we get pretty deep into Gus theory in this episode. And yeah, uh, if you're new to the if you're new to the show, that's the great unknown sadness yeah. that affected all rock bands in the uh, 90s and 2000s. Yeah, there's a lot of definitions of why it exists, why it could be. We I, I don't think there's any one definition, so it's this pretty um, nebulous thing. But it's all over this uh, edition of Big Shiny Tunes yeah. 10 for sure. Yeah, it's the backbone of the album. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you were a sad teenager in 2005, this album probably spoke to you. Yeah. And if it continues to speak to you, there are a lot of uh, professionals that you can talk to about that, about getting your life right. If you ever listening to all previous nine Big Shiny Tunes, waiting for that one song that would completely define your feelings about your girlfriend ditching you for California, specifically Santa Monica, don't worry. Theory of a Dead Man has you covered. <laughs> this is just, it, yeah, it was, it was... Uh, the worst of times it was the blurst of times that's how it was the blurst of times you're absolutely right but not the blurrest of times blur could have absolutely lightened up this load oh, but here we are we, do, we don't get blur but at least we get damon all barn uh in there we go yeah just a taste just a hint yeah this uh this compilation promised some hot hot heat but instead we got um stoned and killed and used uh by the fucking programming <laughs> so yeah that's it we we wanted we wanted to go in like the girl at the start of taken and then it ends up like the middle of taken (laughs) no it's 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 like taken where it transitions to the end of schindler's list with liam neeson breaking down saying oh i could have chosen other songs (laughs) (laughs) perfect yes absolutely That is Big Shiny Tunes 10. I could have chosen other songs. This My Chemical Romance song could have been a yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> Just walking around through the records. <laughs> Brace yourself, folks. The first song is My Chemical Romance, and it's you're in for a bumpy ride here. So uh, make, sure, make sure to listen along with the Spotify playlist in the description uh, so that um, these aren't just abstract songs to you. You need to really cement... And hear the reasons why we hate this album so much. Yeah. It's very important. If, if you're not a listener and you're more a watcher, check out the videos for some of these songs too, because they kind of get into, I think, a little bit more of what makes these songs uniquely uh, horrendous. Yeah. The the aesthetic in some of these, the My Chemical Romance one in particular really stands out to me. But yeah, anyway, that's, that's probably to make sure to rate and review. Uh, it really helps the show. Thank you as always for listening. Should we get into it? <laughs> All right. Big Shiny Tunes 10. Let's go. So Big Shiny Tunes 10, the year was 2005. 
there is no need to make this album. Uh, <laughs> so the news, the big news stories were, I mean, the biggest one was the July 7th bombing in London. Mm. Uh, that was the two bombing killed 52 people, 700 injured. I was living in Brighton at the time, which is an hour south of London. I remember it happening. I was in a, um, I was in a bourbon bar. Wow. Well, that's um, a nice place to be when the world goes to shit. Yeah. I sort of, I, I hadn't heard about it because I, I, I didn't really follow the news. I was 21, you know, I was just going about my life and, um, I went into this bourbon bar that I loved. I think it was called the Great Eastern and there was a bunch of different bars around Brighton, like they were owned by the same company. One was a vodka bar that was called Dr. Brighton's. One was a rum bar. I can't remember what that was called. And one was a bourbon bar. Bourbon bar was my favorite, but they were all great. And um, I just went in for an afternoon bourbon and a beer. Just a nice little boiler maker. I had a day off. And uh, and the woman behind the bar who I knew but have now forgotten her name was like, have you heard? And uh, put, on, put on the news. And I was like, Jesus Christ. And what surprised me the most about it, um, because I'd never been that proximity to a terrorist attack before, I mean, since living in London, so many times. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, it's mostly stabbings now, so it's not, you know, it's not the same. What blew me away was how much England just went about its day. Just very much kept going and was like, like the tube didn't, I don't, I don't think the tube really stopped running. People just kept going to work. Yeah. Um, they were just like, yeah, man, London, yeah, something's going to blow up. <laughs> Gotta carry on. Yeah, but like, I mean, the 7-7 bombings are still, like, it definitely touched them culturally. Because if you if you just say 7-7, everyone knows what you're talking about. It's mm-hmm. it's their version of 9-11. Back-to-back numbers. We know what you mean. At a record store, that's code for the first Talking Heads record. So, No, fair enough. There you go. <laughs> Pope Benedict took over. Pope John Paul II died. Pope, uh, Pope Nazi Youth Benedict took over. Yep. Uh, if you if you remember his sunken crypt keeper face, wait, was his last name Ratzinger? It was. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. He looked like a villain in one of the Ghostbusters movies. He really did. He looked like he came out of that painting from <laughs> Ghostbusters too. Yeah, he looks like he was. Uh, he he was fresh off a party with Rob Zombie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the um, uh, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad took over uh, Iran. If so- you remember him, he was like. The West's uh, uh, boogeyman for a few years. This was when he took office. And also George Bush's boogeyman every time he'd have to pronounce it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, crazy. So fun. Yeah. Um, Angela Merkel also took office. If you want to if you want to have an idea of how long she's been in charge, 16 mm-hmm. years as of this recording. And uh, Terry Schiavo. You remember Terry Schiavo? Yep. That was a pretty big uh, thing in America, for sure. Yes. That was the, the, the woman who was brain dead. And uh, it was about right to die. And so it went all the way to the Supreme Court. And a lot of people were very upset about it. But it was a huge deal to the point where I never really knew what it was. Uh, but I knew the name Terry Schiavo. Like if someone said Schiavo, I was like, oh, yeah, that's a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I couldn't have placed it. It's like um, like Indiana. I've heard of it, but I have no idea where it is. Yeah. Do you think you would have been the same with Kevorkian? that name no Kavor- kavorkian i knew okay. kavorkian i knew because i read mad magazine when mm, he was a big right. deal and so they had a bunch of comics about him so those were the news stories there was a july 7th bombing pope benedict uh Ahmadinejad, merkel shivo uh the big films in case that's how you're going to place yourself harry potter and the goblet of fire yep B- number four big deal episode three star wars revenge of the sith big deal uh batman begins the first of the christopher nolan trilogy yep Big deal in terms of uh, uh, beginning modern superhero culture, really. 
uh, Walk the Line, the Johnny Cash story, the awful, awful Charlie and the Chocolate Factory by Tim Burton, and uh, Wedding Crashers, if um, if you're like me, and that was the movie that you liked the most of that year. <laughs> Just Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn having a sex-positive, creepy good time. Rose watched to feel better about their decisions. <laughs> No, just to have a good ass time. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to be mad at Owen Wilson. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was, I was actually, I was talking to um, John Hastings about Wedding Crashers the other day, weirdly, and we were talking about how it's, it's kind of, it takes a nice turn in that the Isla Fisher character is like a freak, <laughs> and, um, and instead of Vince Vaughn being like, Ew, yuck, he just gets on board. Yeah. And they just have a really healthy hypersexual relationship. Yeah. I mean, we're, we'll, we'll, we'll get into why I uh, had that attitude, and part of it has to do with the fact that I worked at a movie store <laughs> during this time. Okay, but, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's, a, that's as great a segue as any. Jordan, tell me about your 2005. Well, uh, I think I was in peak rabble-rouser phase, I guess I would call it. I was living in Montreal. I was smoking Galois Bleu, the strongest of the Galois. <laughs> okay, go, uh, for anyone listening, that is a cigarette. Not a meth. It's a French cigarette. Yeah, I think it was actually, I think I read once it was the one that Camus smoked. I was like, going to smoke it. And yeah. boy, does that classic. It's classic like smoking a miniature Jordan. cigar. It's like, okay, you shouldn't even be puffed, like inhaling it completely into your lungs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. I was um, exploring abandoned factories in St. Henry with my friends. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I was going to shows at least three times a week on average. Um, I was what getting, venues? Oh, I mean, so many of them aren't even around anymore. There was Electric Tractor, Friendship Cove, El Salon, Zoo Bazaar. Um, yeah, the list is pretty big. There's And some of them have like changed under different names. But um, mm. yeah, uh, and a lot of them were in lofts too. Um, nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I was making really fucked up music with this sweetheart Quebecois dude named Matthew Melouth. Matthew, if you're listening, love you, bro. Uh, Aw. We, yeah, we practice inside this uh, art loft in St. Henry. And um, we later got kicked out because of noise complaints that came from Yann Martel's brother. If you don't know who Yann <laughs> Martel is, he's the guy who wrote <laughs> Life of Pi. And, and his offices were right next door. Um, and we were pretty bummed because we'd been there for a year without any problems. And then he moved in. And so we tried to work something out with him. And he said that we could practice in the storage room that was in the basement. And, and he, he worked as Yann Martel's publisher I guess, okay. like the managerial side. And so he, he's like, you can practice in the storage room. And it was just filled with boxes of Life of Pi. And it wasn't even, <laughs> wasn't even big enough for us to set up a drum set. So we had to leave that spot. Um, That's st- a shame. Yeah. I started my first relationship with a girl five years older than me um, after mm-hmm. meeting her at the 2004 December holiday staff party. Uh, which was for Bois Noir, this movie store I worked at in Montreal. It was definitely the best and the last of the great independent movie rental chains in Montreal. Yeah, I didn't know you worked for Bois Noir. Yeah, I was the only Anglo who worked at the location outside of another Anglo who worked at the other location with my girlfriend, who was also Mm. named Jordan, who was gay. So people differentiated us as gay Jordan and not gay Jordan. <laughs> but can we talk for a second about how funny it is that um, it's gay and not gay Jordan as opposed to gay and straight Jordan? Yeah. <laughs> Gotta love Quebec, man. Um, I mean, the gay guy makes sense. It's this not gay guy. What's his fucking deal? Well, it could have actually been my theory is that people thought I was gay and then they learned I wasn't gay. So that's okay. why I wasn't gay. <laughs> 
Oh, so it was. So it wasn't. It wasn't gay and not gay. It was gay and not gay. <laughs> Perhaps I have no idea who started the nickname, but my, my it was it was such a. I feel like places like this don't exist anymore because my manager was this guy named Jacques. He was this lanky fifty-year-old alcoholic who, uh, like my first day working, my first night closing the store with him, I was counting the cash and he's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, qu'est-ce que tu Like, what are you doing? I was like, oh, "I'm just." He's like, "No, no, no." Once we close the door, we go upstairs and we drink and we smoke joints. And <laughs> and it was fun for a while, but it turned into the kind of thing where it's like, oh, I want to go home. I've been here for two hours after. Yeah. <laughs> this guy just wants to party. But um, I think as an indoctrination into some kind of world, it was great because um, that area that I worked at was in the heart of the plateau of Montreal. And mm. it was like working there as an Anglophone, I think I got to experience this other side of um, Montreal culture. There were some real mm. old school Quebecois characters um, who would come in and rent films and pornography oftentimes. Yeah. There were yeah. amazing diners nearby that were the last of these kinds of greasy spoon before gentrification hit in Montreal, just like waitresses smoking. <laughs> like Quebec, Quebec has such beautiful diner um, and like gross food culture. Yeah. For, for a culture that also has wonderful food, they'll be like, I'm going to go in here, I'm going to buy three hot dogs and a beer, yeah. and it's noon, and that's fine. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I think the first thing I noticed while scanning my emails from this time was so many things went over my head. Old friends' emails weren't responded to, people writing to me to hang out that I just never got back to, and I, I don't think I was deliberately ignoring them, but at that time, it just wasn't important enough to hold my attention and so mm-hmm. I, I totally lost some friendships because of it, I think. I don't yeah. know. That That's very young person stuff, though. I got to I gotta get high in a, in a boite noir. Yeah. I can't. <laughs> so it's like in January, I started um, my first relationship. In March, I met and started practicing with uh, the people in Sunset Rubdown, and we would start mm-hmm. writing songs and playing shows throughout the city. Um, I was going to New York sometimes to hang out with friends and do drugs. <laughs> <laughs> uh in april my grandfather died rest in peace bill kramer oh rest in peace bill in may my girlfriend tricked me into thinking it'd be a good idea for her to move into my place even though we'd only been together for six months uh-huh. um which proved to be way too soon because she'd get into the habit of flushing my pot down the toilet and oh and also threw away a bong that my friend had bought me for my birthday <laughs> oh man like when i was at work I was also really allergic to cats, and by the time we broke up in 2008, we somehow had acquired three cats, which Jesus Christ. honestly must have been about 30% of the reason we broke up. When I look yeah. back on it, I, was, I couldn't breathe. <laughs> it should have been a lot more than 30%, but fair yeah. enough. So by the end of the year, some of my close friends, including the girl I kind of pined for in Victoria, had all moved to Montreal as well, which, looking back, I think mm. ended up causing a lot of problems since I... Uh, all of a sudden it was just this portion of Victoria that I'd left behind all coming back. Um, but even though this year was a crazy blur of parties and general tomfoolery, I think it was the year I became serious about music. And in December of 2005, Sunset Rubdown got signed, quote unquote, <laughs> to a label. Uh, and I'll get into those stories in further episodes. But I think I started taking what I did a lot more seriously and life felt like it had a real purpose. So cool. I was exploring the city. I was exploring my mind and I was sometimes drunk, usually high. And it was a very, it was a time of like happily living, doing and experiencing life in Montreal as a 1920 year old. 
Nice. Yeah. Uh, I feel like we both had years that were completely divorced from this compilation. Mm. Um, this was uh, this was a year that I started taking something really seriously as well, which was cocktail bartending. Um, I started working at uh, Blanche House, which was this great little boutique hotel cocktail bar. I started doing competitions, like bartending competitions and winning them. I was twice nominated for bartender of the year in national magazines nice and i won best bartender in um this woodford reserve competition where they flew 12 bartenders and i out to kentucky we did a tour of the woodford reserve uh we did a tour of uh the jack daniels distillery which is beautiful i mean they're both beautiful but jack daniels feels like a, a disneyland um sort of distillery it's hilarious um and i won that which was really cool so it was like i was a i was i was a hot commodity in the cocktail bartending industry i was the scruffy one like i remember going to this one um part of the the way that i got into a national final for bartender of the year for flavor magazine which is now sadly defunct um was i did a a like a a round basically it's like it worked like a tournament every city had um had a round of like 10 bartenders and we'd all try to get into the finals and i had to do the london one because they didn't do one in brighton and i remember everyone else was like button-up shirt collar clean shaven short hair and i went all the way down the line and i was in a t-shirt it was like a molson canadian t-shirt yeah and it said i am um like it had the i am the joe joe yeah. joe canada thing um in a maple leaf and I took a piece of scotch tape and I just wrote a bartender in it on tape. And I taped that underneath the IM. <laughs> I, had, I had shoulder length hair and a big stupid beard. You were like, well, the, 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 German, the, the germination of being a stand-up comic was already there, but you just had the wrong audience. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I won. I won the competition. <laughs> it was, and, and part of that was because I was very um, confident and charming. Yeah. As I delivered it. So my drinks were really good. I was like, I had, a, 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 I was obsessed with cocktails and booze history and like, I really loved it. I thought about it all the time. Every time I was out drinking, I would have rather been behind the bar. Yeah. So it was like, so this year was, um, I had an amazing girlfriend. Uh, her name was Hazel. She worked at Blanche House as well. We dated and lived together. Not, not the fashion designer. No, different one. Nikki, Nikki, Nikki was long gone. Okay. This is, uh, 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 Hazel was an incredible, uh, bartender and artist, um, and she was a few years older than me, but yeah, it was just worked out. It was great. Um, and I was being flown all over the world to make cocktails mm -hmm. and making pretty decent money and living in Brighton, which is such a fun city. So yeah, I was having an absolute blast as a 21-year-old. I could show up to any cocktail bar in the UK yeah, and drink for free and jump the line. And I knew everyone back there. I knew all the reps. Um, it was just really fun. I had a fucking great year. I mean, I, I identify with that totally. But I don't identify with you relating to any of the Gus. Uh, again, I think we have to remind people from time to time. Gus is the acronym for great unknown sadness or unknowable sadness. Yeah, the great the great unknown sadness, which is behind most of the songs in the Big Shiny Tunes catalog. Right. So my only real down moment of 2005 was going to my grandfather's funeral, and selfishly, it mm -hmm. had nothing probably to do with his death but more just because i had to leave montreal yeah, for yeah. four days what an asshole um yeah but what about you did you have uh any down moments that you can remember of this year really 
Not really. I mean, there were like financially rough moments. Like I remember mm-hmm. at one point um, having to ask uh, my boss, um, Chris Edwards. It was Chris Edwards and Amanda Blanche. And they're both like remarkable people. Chris is one of the best bartenders of all time. And that's not like an exaggeration. Chris, Chris and Amanda were, were phenomenal. And they, they run a place in Croatia oh, wow. now. Zagreb or? Um, no, on Havar, uh, one of the islands. Um, if anyone is ever in Croatia, they're not paying me to do this. I just love them. And they're fantastic <laughs> hosts. Check out Hidden House on Havar. It's like you you will have a phenomenal time. Wonderful hosts. Um, but I remember I, I had to pay a couple debts mm. that I couldn't really afford. And as a result, didn't eat for three days. What what would have these debts been? Just IOUs to people, or yeah, it would have been like either people that I owed money to, or like I finally had to pay off a big bar tab, or maybe just my phone bill. There wasn't a people's potato out there that you could have just gotten free food from, or maybe, but I didn't know about it, and I was working insane hours. Like at this point, it was um, I would bartend because it was a hotel. I'd start a shift at six p.m., finish at six a.m., mm-hmm. um, and then sleep for a couple hours, get on a train, go up to London to do a vodka tasting or a cocktail competition, drink for a few hours there, go back to Brighton, sleep for half an hour, go back and work. And that was like six, seven days a week. Obviously, when one's in their early 20s, hangovers are easier to get over. But would you say your own drinking uh, expanded in this time in a way that hadn't like did 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 you find it hard to maintain while you were working? Or was there sort of like because I'm always fascinated by this because like you definitely and, and a lot of bartenders I've met like do drink on the job, but they sort of know mm. when to when it becomes too much of a hindrance. Right. Yeah. You get you get really good at reading your body. Mm. Uh, so once once I started to feel a little fuzzy around the edges, then it was like water juice. Right. Rain it in a little bit. Um, uh, but yeah, I was drinking constantly and like a lot and part of the job at uh, blanche house was to drink because we were open for so long yeah um i remember uh, chris said you have to drink on the job i mean it wasn't like a command but it was like basically i mean when it gets to 2 a.m and these guys are all fucked if you're sober you're gonna hate them right <laughs> so i need you to be in a good mood to serve these people because it wasn't a big bar you could only physically fit 30 people in it it was tiny and so like a relationship with the customers was everything mm. and so at like 8 p.m. It was beer o'clock. That was when 8 or 9 p.m. And we'd pop the first beer. And then it was just sort of gradual, steady drinking throughout the night. We'd do a shot every now and then, maybe have like a little Manhattan or a cocktail off on the side. But we never got messy. We were, we're professionals. Um, but that was, you know, drinking was part of it. And then, like I said, you go to, a, you go to a, let's say, a vodka tasting in the afternoon because Finlandia is trying to push something or Grey Goose has a new flavor or something like that. And it was my professional responsibility to go not only to improve my knowledge, but uh, to represent Blanche House along with uh, Simon Warnford, who is my mentor and one of my closest friends, Ginge. I'd be shocked if you're listening to this, but if you are, I fucking love you, buddy. Uh, and so that would be like from 12 till 3, we'd be drinking vodka. And then we'd go out, eat a big burger, hop on a train, head back to Brighton, and we both start work. Um, so it was like steady drinking throughout the day, yeah. every day for a couple of years any memorable incidents that happened as a bartender this year that you had to deal with or here's a fun one um a bachelorette party took over the whole hotel we had 12 rooms um a restaurant and a 30 person bar it was very small and people used to do this all the time um and so uh they would and because each room was like bespoke um it was a really boutique thing so they were all ind- individually 
uh, decorated, had their own themes and things like that. So it was a cool place to come for a party. And um, and also we didn't have a sign, so no one could find us unless they knew where we were. It oh, just looked like a house. Secret. Speak- very secret. Is that, is and the door like, was locked. It's like a speakeasy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, very much nice. so. And, um, and we loved that about it because it kept... For the most part, it kept our clientele cool because it was friends of friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and so dick, dick bags rarely showed up. But yeah, this this one bachelorette party took over the place and they were so fun. Like they were the opposite of every stereotype that you hear about bachelorette parties. They couldn't have been nicer, open and hilarious and just up for a good time. And so at the end of the night, on the last night, they stayed for Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, the bride-to-be and the maid of honor are the last two drinking at the bar. Uh, Ginge and I are on the bar. And um, and they go, right, we're done. We're going to bed. Guys, it's been an amazing weekend. Thank you so much. Um, we're going to bring one more bottle of champagne up uh, to the room. So do you mind uh, Do you mind doing that? And I was like, yeah, of course, no problem. So I got the bottle, got a bucket of ice, went up to meet them in their room. Uh, they were sharing a room. Mm-hmm. And um, I got in there, and the vibe was just weird. Okay. It felt like tense in a way that i didn't totally recognize or didn't want to Mm. uh it felt sexual oh but i couldn't i i couldn't put my finger on it and so so i was like okay this is weird um here's your champagne thank you so much for a great weekend congratulations on getting married and i sort of ran i just left i was like i don't want to know what this is what was it like you came in and somebody was wearing one of those animal costumes like in the shining not quite not it was just like they were sort of i think they were in their nightgowns okay and they were like i don't know they were just sort of giving signals of like hey okay what's going on all right i'm 20 21 uh-huh so I'm, I'm a young man and um and i i don't know how to deal with this situation these are women in their late 30s probably and so very confident and I was like, okay, bye. And so I ran down to the bar and I said to Ginger, I was like, I just got the weirdest fucking vibe when I was in that room and I don't know what to do about it. And they, um, uh, and then they called down and they're like, oh, can we get some orange juice to put in the champagne? Okay. And we go, yeah, of course, no problem. And I hang up. I'm like, you're going, you go and tell me if there's a weird vibe because he didn't believe me. Goes up, comes back, look on his face like, holy <laughs> shit, it is getting sexy in there. There is a vibe. And I was like... Okay, good to know. They call down again, and they go, our CD player isn't working. If anyone listening, that's how long ago it was. Their CD player wasn't working. Um, and and I was like, okay, no problem. So so Ginge is like, it's your fucking turn, man. And so I go, all right, fair enough. So I, I grab my, my young man body, mm-hmm. and I walk up the stairs, and I go into the room, and I have to get down on all fours to um, check on what's going on. And they'd unplugged it. It was just unplugged. Uh, so I was so naive. I was just like, oh, it's just unplugged. That's the problem. And I plugged it in and I heard the door slam to the room. And I sort of looked around and one of the women was standing with her arms across the door in like a negligee. And the other woman was on the bed and and the, the bride-to-be is standing in front of the door. And she's like, where do you think you're going? And I was just like, out that fucking door. That's where I'm going. <laughs> Wow. Okay. And did you manage to escape? Oh yeah, one hundred percent. I was just I moved with confidence, and um, I think they were disappointed. But I just couldn't, couldn't immediately like couldn't bring myself to be like I'm not gonna have sex with a woman who's about to get married. This feels like bad, bad juju, man. That's bad karma. So I wish the rest of this story was. And then I, the next day, I made out the tab, and her name was Ghislaine Maxwell. Yeah. <laughs> 
But yeah, so like that kind of stuff used to happen. Like I remember getting, I, I got invited into an orgy with Russian prostitutes in one of the rooms and um, it was, there was a lot of that kind of stuff. I never took anyone up on it. Um, yeah. Partly because I was dating a girl who worked there. Were you pretty, um, were you pretty fit? What did, what do you think the appeal was for wanting to get the bartender involved? Everyone wants to have sex with bartenders. Really? Man. We're fun. Okay. Yeah, we're a good time. And I was like, I was very confident and uh, uh, from what I'm told, very charming. And I was really, I was really good at my job, which people like. How much of that appeal over the years do you think really just comes down to you're the one that gets them drunk? Part of it. Yeah. And like, because it's such a small bar, mm-hmm. we become like pals. Yeah. Or enemies. For sure. <laughs> so, so because, uh, because of that, you really build up like a, 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 a friendship for the night, you know, we're not, we know that it's not going to last. We're not going to call each other, but we become close throughout the evening. Yeah. And so, you know, with some people that's a, a cry on your shoulder closeness and with other people, it's a, I'm going to take my panties off now closeness. Um, yeah. And both are fine. I remember there were three middle-aged women that would drink there all the time and we were like best friends. Mm-hmm. You could have been the, you could have been the fourth golden girl. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and yeah, and I never slept with any of them, but by the end of it, like, cause I, one of them was moving away and they've been drinking there for two years. And by the end of it, we all sort of stopped for a second. We're like, it's kind of weird that I didn't sleep with any of you. Right. And they were like, we were talking about that the other day. Isn't it weird that none of us slept with Chris? <laughs> you had listened to Maggie Mae too many times and realized it wasn't a road you wanted to go down. It was absolutely a road I would have gone down. It was... <laughs> I was... Yeah, I 100% would have. I remember I when I was working at Blanche House, I was when I was 20, I had sex with a 42-year-old. Okay. And uh, uh another woman who was maybe like f- around the same age, like mid to late 40s. Mhm. And I was all about it. I loved the older women. It was uh uh middle-aged women were so hot. Yeah. That, well, uh, uh, I I was really into that. I mean, I th- I think there's something being that age too where uh I don't know what it is, but I totally confidence, confidence, confidence. but maybe also just slightly more experience. And I forgot to mention, uh, and we'll add some sound effect after, uh, I mentioned this, but 2005 was also the year I lost my virginity. Oh, Jordan. I did it <laughs> literally. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah. Wow. Uh, 2005, a time of exploring the world. <laughs> yeah, well, and finding um, um, passions. Yeah, I think that's what I like about this year is we both um, we both start, found something we liked and were good at. Yeah, and really, really went after it, which is such a cool time in people's lives. So, um, for the omissions, uh, I have I have a few mm-hmm. uh, that I think should have made it. One that I'm surprised didn't, but I'm happy didn't. Um, uh, Arcade Fire Funeral, surprise nothing from that got on. Yeah. I think we talked about that last time as well, but it bridges the gap between the two, so it could have easily been on there. Um, White Stripes, Get Behind Me, Satan, same. Should have definitely had a, uh, a song on there. Uh, Francis the Mute by the Mars Volta came out. Absolute. If you've got Billy Talent, you can have the Mars Volta. Something off of uh, uh, Guero by Beck, mm-hmm. which was an album that I really, really liked and would have fit in on this sort of weird mishmash album it's not quite as experimental as the last one but there's still some weird jumps around here with like bedouin sound clash and shit sure that i think beck could have definitely fit in um something off aha shake heartbreak by kings of leon i'm surprised wasn't on there okay and then the band that i glad didn't but i'm surprised didn't is uh, panic at the disco (laughs) 
I don't think I've ever heard a song of theirs in my life, and I don't think I ever will. I'll... Guaranteed you did. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play them for you next time I see you. I'm not even going to tell you. I'm just going to have it playing. <laughs> this is a very selfish, uh, the Big Shiny Tunes I would have made list. Um, <laughs> realistically, I don't think any of these really would have been picked. Outside of maybe, I'm surprised... They could have put something from the new pornographers on here from Twin Cinema, which came mm, out that year. Mm -hmm. The super, Canadian super group featuring Nico Case, uh, Carl Newman, and Dan Behar um, from Destroyer. I was listening to a lot of Montreal stuff at this time. Le Georges Leningrad. Uh, I loved that. 400 Blows, this totally strange art bratty punk band from LA at the time. Cass McCombs, Prefection. Broadcast, Tender Buttons. Uh, and even though this man is now disgraced forever, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about at least how much uh, I was and most of us culturally were into R. Kelly's Trapped in the Closet. Yeah, turns out he wasn't trapped in the closet. They were. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious. I have no idea what the mainstream landscape was in 2005 this year. So here are the top tens for the respective countries. We'll start with America uh, because they're more interesting generally. Yeah. Um, but also not important in terms of the podcast. Um, number one, bad day, Daniel powder. Remember that? No. So you had a bad day. Oh God. I do remember yep. that. Yeah, I knew you did. Uh, then temperature by Sean Paul, then promiscuous by Nelly Furtado featuring Timberland. Remember when Victoria's own Nelly Furtado was the biggest act in the world? I remember when my dad was convinced she lived down the street from us because there's a family called Furtado, but it wasn't. <laughs> Oh, he must have been so upset. He was. Um, You're Beautiful by James Blunt. Oh, there's, yeah. Ugh. There he is. There he is. Uh, Hips Don't Lie, Shakira featuring Wyclef Jean. They surely don't lie. <laughs> Unwritten by Natasha Bedingfield, who I do not remember, but I remember being famous. Uh, Crazy by Narls Barkley, which that's an album that actually I really enjoyed from this year. I listened. I used to flare to that a lot when I was juggling my bottles. <laughs> Narls Barkley. Perfect. Uh, Riding by Chameleonaire featuring Crazy Bone. Remember fucking Chameleonaire? Is that Riding Dirty? No. Uh, yeah, it's gotta be. Yeah. Okay. Wanna get me Riding Dirty? Yeah. Wanna get me Riding Dirty? I love, my brother was so funny when that was a hit because he was like, oh wait, so you're breaking the law and the cops caught you? That's their job. <laughs> like, Whatever, man. A cab. <laughs> then um, uh, Sexy Back by Justin Timberlake. Uh, absolute pop jam. And uh, Check On It by Beyonce featuring Slim Thug, which I do not remember at all. Yeah, that's a real find me at the club top 10. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and then uh, for Canada, uh, again, we don't have a top 10 because nobody keeps track of anything in Canada. <laughs> So uh, for January, it was Do They Know It's Christmas by Band-Aid 20. Uh, through February, it was My Boo by Usher and Alicia Keys. Uh, then for a couple weeks, it was U2 with All Because of You. Someone named Amanda Stott had the number one hit for a couple weeks with Paper Range, Canadian act. Um, Pepper's Ghost. You ever heard of them? <laughs> no. no fucking idea who Pe Pepper's, Pepper's Ghost, Ghost. is. <laughs> Pepper's Ghost, like apostrophe S. It's like Pepper. <laughs> um, the song was called uh, You're In My Heart, brackets Little Pretty. Super creepy. Um, then you 2 and this is interesting, yeah. uh, for a month and a half, held the number one spot, but then with two different songs. So it started with All Because of You, and then it switched to Sometimes You Can't Make It On Your Own. 
both U2 songs back to back number ones. Pretty impressive. I think my dad curated this Canadian top 10. I know Canada sucks, man. <laughs> <laughs> the next, the next one, the next number one hit for a, a month and a half was, um, when you tell me that you love me by the American Idol season four finalists. That the name of that song is eight words long. That's way too long. <laughs> it's so long, and it's by the not even the winner, but the finalists of a show that's not in our country. Um, then, then for one week, it was Blue Orchid by the White Stripes, and then for seven weeks, it was Inside Your Heart by Carrie Underwood. Jesus Christ, I'm moving to Montreal. <laughs> <laughs> Montreal is the furthest you could get in Canada without feeling like you're in Canada, I think is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. It's uh, it's the closest to bucking the trend that you're going to find. At least, at, at um, least at, during this time. Yeah. And even then, if you're on West Island, you're fucked. Um, <laughs> then um, On My Own by Headley for a week. Uh, then Don'tcha by the Pussycat Dolls featuring Buster Rhymes for a month and a half. That takes us into October. Then Alive by someone named Melissa O'Neill, Canadian act. Wow no idea then hung up by madonna and then for the last two weeks alive by melissa o'neill yet again you do you know sometimes like when you go to a cemetery and there's some memorial of like drowned sailors and the names just kind of float <laughs> by you and you like you're registering them as like a thing and a person that lived and did stuff but then you'll never mm -hmm. think about it again that's how some of those names on like top 10 i was like yeah that's the only time i'll probably ever hear that again in my life <laughs> Oh, for sure. I feel like Melissa O'Neill is not going to pop up a lot unless people start tweeting us Melissa O'Neill links, which would make me laugh very much. Um, for this album, yeah. I thought that it was a, an interesting move from the last one because the last one, they finally moved into the like interesting rock of the time, started to try to step away from uh, Great Unknown Sadness, heavy riffs uh -huh. and monotone singing yeah and then they just stepped right back into it absolutely uh, for, for yeah. half of this album with a couple of exceptions i mean you've got like some more emo stuff mm -hmm. uh which isn't welcome but is technically different <laughs> one great song uh which is obviously the gorillas and then a couple songs where it's like okay all right we have the first hip-hop song by a black artist sure uh in big shiny tunes history um shouldn't have been that one we'll talk about that later on they picked the wrong song off that album yeah but uh but technically that's a breakthrough first uh first black artist doing hip-hop uh long overdue crazy long overdue um but yeah i mean what did you think that was it just felt like it felt like a step back and to the left to quote how jfk died yeah um in, in that it was like, it wasn't exactly right back into what Big Shiny Tunes was before. Yeah. It was a little bit off to the side, but still it was a regression. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I'm mostly in agreement with everything you said, uh, except which is the great song on here. Um, I, oh, good. I expected nothing, but yet I'm still disappointed. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I feel like my generation, like, is kind of responsible for this compilation in a way, not because we had anything to do with it, but because most mm. of us didn't care about any of the songs on here and would have found this music extremely boring. So it's almost as if the compilation has finally chosen to soundtrack the sadness of its own demise. <laughs> um, well, that, yeah, because it was culturally not just insignificant, but non-existent at this point. Yeah, and, and I feel like the last, at least as it related to my experience in 2005, I feel like the last two songs in particular really hammer home that guilt by including two Montreal artists uh, with, mm. with a very sad message, despite the fact that, you know, my memories 
from this time didn't bring back any of the motions that are on this compilation. Um, in fact, if you were to make a meme about gearing up to cover this year and episode, hmm. it would look something like this. The first panel of the meme. Gee, 2005 was such a great time. I'm excited to listen to Big Shiny Tunes 10 now. Second panel puts on Big Shiny Tunes 10 and then uh, a really startled expression and this comes on. How could this happen to me? <laughs> so with that... Excellent meme. Yeah. Excellent meme. <laughs> Do you know a single person who knew that there was a Big Shiny Tunes 10. No. Mark Teo doesn't count. But I lived in Montreal, and I think that's a, an important to, distinction to make in terms of what was happening with the Canadian music industry, but also just the industry in general, because um, you see this a lot in some of the bands that are on this comp, but even the mainstream or like what was getting cool sort of pivoted whereas um mm. a lot of groups that were on big shiny tunes were probably bands or artists that would have been in rolling stone and spin magazine but um mm. most of the people i know like the closest they ever got to consuming music on a mass consumer scale was stuff like pitchfork media and other things that mm. were coming about at this time that was it was weird it was like an anti mainstream that ended up becoming its own kind of version of a mainstream um, but even even like your Vi Victoria people, oh yeah, yeah, they 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 wouldn't have known about this either. I don't think so, but maybe just maybe yeah. yes in the fact that some of them were still in BC. But uh, I was in Montreal at this point, so there, yeah, mm. this did not register on any level uh, in the circles that I was running in. Yeah, well, it's like even like I've, I've talked to people about the podcast, obviously like friends of mine from back home um, of with all kinds of different tastes, and the, even the people that would have loved this album. Never knew it existed to this day. Yeah. Shocked, shocked that there were 10 of these. And, and maybe it's a slightly elitist and just the people I was hanging out with and what I thought cool was on some level that I met people with similar attitudes. But I don't think I even knew anybody who owned a TV that had cable at this point. Yeah. You know what I mean? Very Montreal. Yeah. <laughs> Very Montreal. It was always weird, too, because whenever I'd go visit my sister, um, she lived in Toronto and they had a TV and they would watch TV. The TV was just always on. Um, but I guess I was reading books. So I guess that made me a bit lame. I had the exact same thing when I lived in Montreal. Yeah. Just just a big pile of books in my in my room and a mattress on the floor. Sounds like a Leonard Cohen lyric. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's let's fucking get into this. We've avoided it long enough. Um, track number one. Helena, Helena, Helena. Let's go with Helena. Um, Helena by My Chemical Romance. <laughs> uh, first off, yep. stop whispering in songs. Furious, <laughs> furious when he whispered into my ear. You creep. Get away from me. I hate this guy. Uh, his name so is mad. Gerard Way. Gerard, is that one word? Gerard Way? <laughs> Unfortunately, no. <laughs> it's my way or the Gerard Way. <laughs> I wonder how many people never checked out the great band My Bloody Valentine because they confused the name with this ridiculous band. I 100% did that. Yep. Um, I absolutely confused those two until you just said it. Yeah. Thank you. Sarah, Sarah, Sarah today said the same thing. <laughs> this song was like an oral illusion to me. Um, like I was aware that music was happening and that there were verses and choruses, but it hurt my brain to try to process like a meaning from it. 
There was no fixed hmm. point to latch on to. The only word I could understand was so long and good night. And um, yeah, you yeah. just kept hoping that meant it was the end of the song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is really big shiny tunes for some kind of idea of a next generation, since I can mm. really see sad 15 year olds being into this band. Um, but in, yeah. sh- in short, yeah. I had pretty much outgrown the emotions of what this band was trying to achieve uh, in the last two years. So maybe people, yeah. maybe there were people my age who were into this band, but I probably didn't want to know them. <laughs> Yeah, that was one thing one thing that I had to give it to them is that I do think that this is really well made for the people they're making it for. Mm-hmm. Um like you said sad teenagers would eat this shit up. Like it was they looked like they were a commercial for Hot Topic um or Claire's accessories depending on where you grew up. How, how would you describe their uh visual aesthetic like the way they looked? You know what is you know what they reminded me of um they seemed like a band that the goth kids from South Park would call posers. Nice. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like they dress it all, but it's like, we know who you really are. This is a phase for you. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, a bleak. And then like the, the, this is one of the music videos I saw. I didn't get to, I didn't get to watch all the videos this week, but this one where it's just like in a church for no reason and they don't do anything with it. They're just playing rock in a church. And it's like, it's not the fifties. Like, I really, I can't wait until religion takes a backseat mm-hmm. in all of our minds so that if for no other reason than we find some new, more interesting power structure to subvert in our bullshit teenage <laughs> pop videos. Yeah. I, I Yeah, the only relief I had from the song was I thought I was going to be listening to 30 seconds from mars and then i realized it wasn't 30 <laughs> seconds for mars and then i just realized yeah. it was only slightly less worse than probably yeah listening only to slightly <laughs> but at least it's not jared fucking leto yeah so well hated it next next song um, Coldplay, ugh. speed of sound which this song i think this is the song equivalent of having tea with your great aunt as your 20 as a 20 year old <laughs> Uh, it's, it's fine. It's not particularly exciting. It's kind of boring, but it's pleasant enough. And so I guess what I'm saying is that the production, the songwriting and his voice are tasteful and serviceable enough for me to not want to throw my computer across the room while I'm listening to it. But, um, what's really weird. And I had to look this up twice to make sure I wasn't tripping. Uh, both Chris Martin and Gerard way from the previous song are born in the same year. Who do you think sounds truer to what most people their age? Uh, <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. No. <laughs> that's yeah. That's that's that stone. Uh, that's that South Park poser thing. That's the like, buddy. You are not nineteen. No, no matter no. how black you dye your hair, you're not Bo- fucking nineteen. Both twenty eight years old at the time. Um, and yeah, so I, I at least have to give Coldplay credit to sounding a little bit more well adjusted and. Yeah. Pleasant enough is how I would describe this. Not it's not very yeah. good, is it? But pleasant it's enough. It's not very good though, is it? <laughs> Chris Martin just seems like a straight up bummer to me. I feel like he's a real downer to hang out with. What are you talking about? They the, the music video they're playing inside a light bright. Yeah, right? When that felt like a real COVID music video where they're like, "Wait, well, guys, we can't go outside, so we're going to rock the shit out of these lights." But even then, that's like I mean Jane's Addiction did that a couple um compilations ago. Yep. And rocked it because Perry Farrell and Dave Navarro are the most charismatic people alive. And uh, Chris Martin, they couldn't even have him on screen for more than half a second because he just started yawning. <laughs> but like, 
that was what I got from this was the like uh, because this is the third album with a Coldplay song on it inexplicably. Yeah. Um, I was just I just started thinking about Chris Martin and I was just like you seem like a really sad guy like I don't think and not like bone sad like just boring sad mm-hmm. where I started thinking about Adele because she's the other British sad singer that I think of but Adele feels like she gets it out of her system. Yeah. These are like this is. Her songs are her getting rid of her sadness and dealing with it. And then she's fun again. And then she yeah. goes out to the bar and is a good ass time. Mm-hmm. Whereas Chris Martin is just flatline bummer all the time. I feel like Chris Martin is the kind of guy who, if you were to hang out with him in your 20s, he'd be the only 25 year old who would go to the pub and just have one drink. And that'd be it. One drink and then be like, oh, I was reading this thing about refugees. And it's like, shut up, Chris. Not now. <laughs> Yes, it's important, but not now. Do you think on some subconscious Freudian level you just hate him because he shares the first name as you? On like, Does that increase the hatred a little bit more? <laughs> I mean, that's entirely possible. That is why I was a fan of Criss Cross as a young man. Yeah. So it could be it could be a reason why I hate this guy now. Yeah, I'm, I, um, I feel like I have a slight edge over people that hate Jordan Peterson because I hate him even more because I have to share the same first name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's enough Coldplay time. Yeah. They've taken up far too much of our time on this podcast, <laughs> as it is. Um, next song, All These Things I've Done by The Killers. Yep. Um, I was honestly, judging by the title, All These Things I've Done, before I listened to it, I'd forgotten that I'd heard this song before, and I was hoping for a, like, we didn't start the fire-esque just list. Yeah. <laughs> just... Went to school and had a friend, ate too much, played, oh, threw it up, played tag, didn't kiss yeah. the girls. Yeah. <laughs> These are the things that I've done. <laughs> um, I this is fine. This was a, a, a I like the killers, despite that guy that I hate who played them all the time. Uh, f- just foot tapping fun made for a sing along with that repetition at the end. I got soul, but I'm not a soldier. Sure. It's a stupid lyric, yeah. but it's great for singing along to. Um, I thought that the connection between. As much as I didn't like that that Coldplay song was on it, and again, it's a serviceable song, I thought that the the, the lead out from uh, the Coldplay song to the lead in to this killer song was actually one of the best that I've heard in terms of sequencing on Big Shiny Tunes. It seemed to flow really nicely, and I noticed it especially because I'm not used to that feeling when I listen to these albums. Sure. Um, I mean... So from a like programming standpoint, I was like, not bad. Yeah. Not bad. You can look at it that way, or you could look at it uh, as the difference between um, being put on the electric chair or being given uh, drugs in your system to kill you. Um, It sort of makes it a little bit less painful having these two songs back to back. Um, But first off, did you see both music videos for this song? No, I didn't know there were two. I saw the cowboy one. Okay. Yeah, that was the first one I saw too, which is all kinds of stupid. Uh, I kind of wish they had stuck with the charm of the UK version. Um, Because in the UK version, it's just them walking around a street and then slowly their fans and the um, singers who are on the song join them in the street. And then they go play a show and everyone looks like they're having like earnest fun. It doesn't seem like pretentious. Mm. It seems genuinely wholesome. Um, but yeah, the song itself, I mean, the verses are a straight up rip off of the strokes in this weird way. Um, okay. Yeah. And fair enough. apparently the song is about that MTV host, Matt Pinfield and his work with the, who he was like this bald, uh, VJ. Um, and yeah, he, his, the song's about uh, this. Yeah. My, my reaction to this quote was what? 
The, so- <laughs> the song is about television host Matt Pinfield and his work within the U.S. Army as a part of a program that helped wounded PTSD-stricken soldiers returning from Iraq. So I didn't get oh, any I, yeah, of that. Yeah, I really from got that. Works. No, really? You got that? I mean... <laughs> no, of course not. Right. So, I mean, despite all that kind of pretentious nonsense with the video and the lyrics, I can appreciate this as a good, well-written song. Mm. Um, but yeah, it means absolutely nothing to me. But I can also see how this is someone's absolute favorite song in the whole wide world, and I wouldn't fault them for mm. that either. Yeah, and one one thing that I, I, I've realized that I appreciate from the Killers, I think more so within the Big Shiny Tunes realm is that he is, uh, was it Brandon Flowers? Is that the singer? Yep. Um, He can do different things with his voice. And so even though he'll hit that sort of middle thing that a lot of the guys are hitting, he can also break it big and go sort of like showman large with his voice every now and then. And he does, and he uses it. And just that sheer minimal variety. Yeah. Is enough for me to be like, thank God, <laughs> this is on here. This is that's how much Big Shiny Tunes has lowered my expectations. Yeah, it's... yeah. So uh, returning to the lowered expectations. Oh Next my God. up, we got a band called The Used. All that I've got. Um, so the music video to this, I could only find this 144p nightmare, which was glitching <laughs> out half the time. I don't know if you watched the video for this, but um, if you did, yeah. you may have noticed that their aesthetic is very similar to My Chemical Romance, at least visually. I asked you how yeah. you would describe the My Chemical Romance uh, aesthetic. Um, you refer to it as the South Park Goths. Uh, my description of it would be 19th century man-child chimney sweep. Yeah, fair enough. And I, not the not the South Park Goths, the kind of Goth that the South Park Goths would look down upon. Oh yes, okay. <laughs> but why this look? And and I started thinking about that a lot throughout this song and this kind of song. So if we're to go into the great unknown sadness, uh, mm. I'll, I'll keep referring to it as Gus. So the Gus emotion of this song, to me, isn't the angry macho self-righteousness of songs that used to be on this comp it's a Mm. whinier variety where they tap into the crying part of man Um, yes but the crying here isn't the mature i've lived a respectfully contemplative life of loss and joy therefore my tears are beautiful and they they seep Mm. and flow down naturally kind of crying the leonard cohen tears yeah it's it's the kind of crying this is is i've repressed my emotions for years and project my problems onto others so when i cry you better believe it's unexpected violent and weird sounding (laughs) yes yeah yes I mean, I summed it up in just three words. It's just, it's plaintive loser rock. <laughs> oh, there's a genius it's, to the brevity of that too. <laughs> yeah. And like, and not even like necessarily like losers, it like in the general sense, but like self-proclaimed loserdom. Yep. Like you like how everyone called themselves a nerd for a little while a few years ago. This was when everyone was like, I'm such a loser. I'm going to put on eyeshadow. And it's like, nobody, you're, you, we don't care enough about you to be a loser. Yeah. And you suck. And, and the corporate aspect of that, of just that being part of this formula, um, is particularly funny because I think somebody on management, uh, heard Arcade Fire and they're like, okay, yeah, you guys got the song, but we need to add a little bit of xylophone and, uh, strings. <laughs> like there's something kind of 2005 in 
uh, the production choice that's that's there. But yeah, um, we're going to get more into this Gus emotion throughout the episode, I think. But this yeah, is there's a, there's a shit ton. This of is it. a Gus nightmare. <laughs> I ju- I want to say this is the what a waste of a band name. <laughs> why why do you say that? The used should be like a kick ass punk band, like <laughs> right. a real yeah. gritty skid punk band. That makes that makes rancid look like bitches. I guarantee there was some band already called the Used before them. There had to yeah. be. There had to be because I literally like when I saw this come up, I was like, "Oh shit!" I was actually looking forward to it because I don't remember this band at all. Like I just missed them, and so coming in, I was like, "Oh, this should be fun. This will be a little bit more like dirty and and filthy." And then I heard, I was like, "You motherfuckers, you <laughs> absolute bad!" And then in the in the fucking video that goes into a bookstore and it's called the used bookstore. It's like, get out of here! I hate you! I hate you! <laughs> Speaking of hating you, um, should we move on? <laughs> Fight for the wrong reasons by Nickelback. <laughs> oh, this. This song, you know, you know what got me about this song is remember the last Nickelback song was, um, the, yeah, the I one, think it was the last one. It was, uh, the one, yeah. Was that the coke? Was that the one on coke? That was the like everything was sped up. Yeah, and yeah. It seemed like he. Yeah. So this this felt like they'd taken the guitar and atmosphere from that because it's like heavier than it would normally be. Sure. And if it, it feels like it feels like they're stealing a lot of tropes from rock that was popular two years ago, and. But then they slowed Chad back down to his normal tempo. Um, so it's like, it's like, it's still Nickelback, but it's not your dad's Nickelback. It's like, yeah, all Nickelback is my dad's Nickelback. I, I don't know if they slowed Chad down. I think Chad slowed Chad down because I, I kind of mm. think that this is Nickelback scar tissue, not in how it sounds, but in how it feels, um, especially because it doesn't have a video. So there's already yeah. a downslope to the fact that uh, something seems to be leaving um, the magic, I guess, of Nickelback is a, <laughs> not a phrase I thought I'd ever say. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the lyrics of the song have a resigned bitterness to them that seem like the emotional problems of a mean coke addict honestly um do do you know the leonard cohen song chelsea hotel uh not well i've definitely heard it but not well enough to bring it up memory wise yeah it's it's one of his um uh, famous ones (laughs) so so uh so imagine like if leonard cohen and chad kroger were in the same poetry class and the assignment was write a brief poem about a failed romance so leonard Mm -hmm. cohen uh submits his poem Chelsea Hotel, which contains the line, I remember you well in the Chelsea Hotel. You were talking so brave and so sweet, giving me head on the unmade bed while the limousines wait in the street. Beautiful. Like it's compact. There's a lot. Chad, what do you have? I guess it wasn't really right. I guess it wasn't really meant to be. It didn't matter what they said because we were good in bed. Yeah. It's the same assignment, but somebody clearly has no deep world experience about how people are. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. And that's, um, I mean, for everyone listening, that's going. It's not fair to compare Chad Kroger <laughs> to Leonard Cohen. You're right, and it's not fair. But at the same time, sometimes you need you need a little bit of perspective on it. And this is Chad Kroger could have written a beautiful song. In theory, we all know he couldn't have, but. <laughs> It's just, it's important to remember just how dumb these lyrics are. (laughs) Or it's important to remember how, as a man, you can choose to reflect on your experiences. (laughs) Yeah. 
Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lyrics are about painting a picture. You failed. Or at least the picture you drew was with your fingers in blood. Uh, so... So I, I don't um, I don't want to well I kind of do actually but I, I want to sort of steal your thunder here by introducing the next song and yeah um, go for it defending it because I don't think you like the song that much uh, this song next song is Beverly Hills by Weezer um, mm. okay so first off this song is going to be stuck in my head for a goddamn year now because I, yeah. <laughs> I had to listen to it but that said I think this may be the only legitimately dumb fun song on here because it's jam-packed with just pop hooks you got hand claps you got a head bobbing yep. tempo you got that gimme gimme hook and you have that mm -hmm. steve miller talk box solo and it's so Ooh. fun that it negates what the message of the song is actually about which i thought at first was an ironic wink but no literally i read an interview with rivers cuomo about the song where he talked about it was him earnestly wanting to be accepted by the beverly hills elite yeah but um that said, I think it's the funnest song on here, which therefore kind of makes it the best in some ways. But um, how about you? Fair enough. Um, I don't hate this song. Okay. I understand why you thought that I might. Okay. Um, uh, I got to say one other, and this, this surprised me again, is uh, another good programming decision. Um, sonically going from the Nickelback into this, just the way it went out, the way it came in. I was again like, you know what? Nailed it. I don't know who's doing this, but this works. First off, it's nice to finally understand the lyrics in a Weezer song. Thanks, Rivers, <laughs> for enunciating, you prick. Um, this is like, this is, it's been five songs since I understood a goddamn thing he said. Um, I mean, I don't love the song, but I don't hate it. Like, it's fun. It's a good time. It's, it's, it's whatever. I kind of love how prescient it is in a way. It feels like a, a song that's trying to warn us about the Kardashians. That's what I thought too. But again, apparently it wasn't. It was trying to lament about how he couldn't go to their party. <laughs> but that in itself is him being the warning. Okay. <laughs> yes. Was... Okay. I see what you mean. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> And it's um and it's it's nice because I hate I've always hated um I mean always it's only been a thing for a few years but since it since it started this thing of like um oh, all these attention seeking kids on Instagram and right. everyone's trying to pose it's like that has always been a thing everyone has always wanted to pretend like they're this you got that lyric here was it um uh take my picture by the pool because I'm the next big thing yeah and that's that's Instagram right and so it's like all that the all that's changed is that now. These people who want to seem and always wanted to tell the lie that they were that have the tools at their disposal to make it happen. That's all that's changed. So anyone's like Instagram ruined people. No, Instagram just gave them the tools to do the thing that they were doing in their imagination anyway. This isn't new. This is classic. Chris Betts going deep on the nature of celebrity. It's fucking the nature of celebrity is one thing that I think about a great deal because it is so bananas. Yeah. Uh, but the the video is a great example of that as well because it's Hugh Hefner it's at the Playboy Mansion and that is another thing in like the way that we've shifted in how we see things because at the start of this yeah. it's Hugh Hefner with three uh, playmates um, and he calls one of the guys from Weezer Pat and he's like Pat I heard Wilson, the drummer yeah okay calls the of the drummer of all people <laughs> that's who Hugh Hefner calls outrageous already i don't believe this video um and um uh but yeah he calls and he's like i hear weezer has a new song i'd love to hear it and so weezer throws a party at the playboy mansion and like at the time and through like my whole childhood hugh hefner was like a cool guy 
Yeah. He was the guy who had all the ladies and he ran this like classy porno and had through wild parties. And the assumption was always just like that. It was like a cool, sexy thing that everyone was involved in. And now if like any Hugh Hefner type of person were to come up, I would go from being like, well, that seems like a pretty cool guy to two years until that dude's in prison yeah or fleeing like there's oh. there's a human trafficking element to this it's the 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 switch on celebrity ladies men be going from like cool hip guy to definite predator <laughs> is a very interesting development that is immortalized in this music video for sure i mean i think if anything playboy magazine taught us that if you want to dabble in the world of human sex trafficking you at least interview really smart authors uh in between yeah. naked photos of people yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah um beverly hills that's where i want to be give me give me give me give me Beverly, Living in Beverly, Beverly Hills. <laughs> I just did that so that the people listening have to have it stuck in their fucking heads, yeah. too. Uh, <laughs> so continuing the waterboard torture of this tracklist. Um, oh, my God. I can't believe this happened. Uh, Some 41 with the song Some Say. I can't believe this happened, but Some 41 is now being put into the Limp Biscuit slot of the compilation. Meaning that if you identify with the emotions of this song in particular as a grown man, it's a sign you need therapy. And yeah. there's something that seems really tired about some 41 in 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, a shot that we see in this music video uh, that's in countless others, but we've had to watch many, many times got me thinking about Gus again, the great unknowable sadness mm. as we'll keep calling it. So if, if Gus had its own flag, I think it would be this. So keep, keep in mind, these images have to be pictured in black silhouette form. A, okay. So on the flag. A dark cloud over top of a station wagon parked on a hill overlooking a cityscape with a figure in the front seat that has musical notes and broken heart icons drifting out of the vehicle. Oh, yeah. 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 It's uh, some, yeah. something's off here, man. And um, I think, yeah, through many years of watching music videos that have appeared on this compilation, I think we can both agree that it's always a bad sign for a song when they show someone, especially the lead singer, singing along gloomily in a parked car. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is like, I mean, we, we've talked about this with some 41 a couple times now where, you know, you, you, it ties into, um, I, I mean, I can't think of another musician that's been on this compilation where you can hear their mental decline in their output. Um, mm-hmm. so readily how we went from fun, mischiefy guy to fame. Yeah. And drugs broke his brain. And now he's like, you say, he takes the Limp Biscuit spot. And it's like, this song bummed me out. Yeah. It really affected my mood. Like, I really, and not because I was identifying with anything. I was just like, I just felt bad for the kid. Yeah, man. And I was, I mean, you know what kind of shocked me is I was, I was looking into their discography because I was like, this feels like the end. This feels like this band should be stopping now. They've been releasing albums every three or four years since they started. <laughs> With like that, that's the regularity. Every three yeah. or four years, there's a new Sum 41 album. There's a new one that came out in 2019. So we're going to get another one next year. Um, and I shudder to think how fucking sad those albums are. Yeah. <laughs> Judging by this descent. It's such a shame because, you know, you listen to the early episodes of this podcast. And um, I think both of us, but me in particular, were just like, I can't, I can't hate these guys because they're so fun and they're just having a good ass time. Yeah. And now that is gone. Yeah. And it breaks my heart. 
and, and 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 somehow maybe this permutation of Gus has to do with all they probably needed was a couple years off and just to chill out mm. and get either ideas. But um, yeah, remember last episode when you were citing that Dewey Cox uh, scene where he invents punk and they're like, faster, faster. This yeah. just really feels like a part of Derek being, I can't go as fast anymore. Please slow down. Yeah. <laughs> Please leave me alone. Yeah, the song's just a, it's just a shame. Yeah. It's too bad. And it sets up, I think, the next few, uh, the next couple bummers here. <laughs> mm. If you're ready to move on, but uh, any more thoughts yeah. on the old Sum 41? No, I'll just go into this next one. It's called <laughs> Remedy by Seether. <laughs> now, in my mind, uh-huh. Seether, Seether, in my memory, was just another filter. Okay. And so I ha- I hated them on spec probably just the name uh, but then but yeah i think so i think so but then i listen to the song and it turns out they're just a bad nirvana cover band yeah and so i hate them with substance now uh they're boring and terrible if you like seether you don't like seether you like nirvana and just buy in utero yeah and well, have a better time maybe maybe that's what it is but part of me um like i can't believe that Kurt Cobain had access to a time machine and went nine years into the future to rip off this band's style. (laughs) And it's, in my eyes, it's too bad that the guilt of using this device, the time machine, probably brought about his decision to end his life. Um, Because there's there's nothing, there's there's absolutely nothing wrong for wearing your influences on your sleeve, Kurt. And if you had a time machine... Uh, and you didn't tell us about it, it would have been revolutionary of you to share that information with the world, or at least write a concept album about it. But um, don't feel bad about ripping off Seether. T- ten years too late, and even then, it would have been a bad song <laughs> then. But Yeah, yeah it, it would have fallen through the cracks even in the early 90s. This is, uh, and the music video made me laugh. Did you watch the video? I did, yep. Uh, it's it's uh, he's, he's giving Rob Zombie a run for his money. <laughs> That's exactly. I was like, buddy, you can't do the haunted carnival bit. That's Rob Zombie and ICP. They've got that locked down. Nobody else touches that. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you're going to steal one band, why not steal three? But yeah, I have no time for Seether. And I'm glad that um, this is the first time I and last time I ever had to hear them. Yep. <laughs> so annoying to just be like, oh, you're even doing Kurt Cobain's voice. Yeah. Go fuck yourself. Yeah, it's almost kind of impressive how well he nails it. Um, but uh, it's a really good impression, mm-hmm. and that makes it worse. That because then it's on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> uh, should we move on? Yeah. Next song, Billy Talent with nothing to lose. They meant so much to me. Mm-hmm. And this one, when the guitar started, I was like, "Yeah, I love it." And then the song continued, and I was like, "No, I don't." <laughs> yep. wait i don't love this oh no and it was this was the song that was like where what on earth did i identify with this suicide note of a song (laughs) when it really like i remember this song speaking to me yeah and loving it and just i was like going through my life at the time and i was like i swear to god i had like passions and i had friends and i had a good family and like i was doing well with women and what on earth could have gotten me into this? And that was my like, that was my recognition of like, oh, the great unknown sadness absolutely lived within me in a very real way. Yeah. Because there's no other reason that this should have touched me. 
this song isn't full on Gus since it's at least about teenage things that happen. Um, mm. You know, he's talking like the lines in the song, uh, my notebook will explain, or my teacher said it's probably just a phase or my parents. Very Adam's song. Yeah. My parents had no clue that I ate all my lunches alone in the bathroom. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, an idea that made me laugh out loud was this. So, you know how in the song at one point he says, kids just love to tease who no, it put me underground at 17. Yeah. So in my head, that means that we're supposed to imagine that the song is sung from the perspective of a dead person. So imagine mm. how much cooler the video would have been if it was like animated gorilla styles with a cartoon ghost haunting and messing with the students at the high school. Would have been a, brought a very different vibe to the whole tune. Yeah. I mean, the gloomy sepia tone music video, was, I, I really hope it was something they were forced into as opposed to spearheading themselves because... Um, they could have at least sold this idea in a more fun way, but it just feels like they kind of sold out something about themselves in it, at least compared to other Billy Talent songs. But I mean, to be fair, this is on the same album as the one from last time. Oh, well. Um, so it's like uh, uh, this is this is all part of this is all part of the same same thing. Sure. Um, and I mean, I, this was just their Gus song. Yeah. I, and the screams he does at the end at least tries to go the extra mile to sell the pubescent mm. angst, even though. It's sung by a 30-year-old man. <laughs> I don't know. There's something always weird about the trope of a 30-year-old guy singing about high school. Thing. Yeah, always. For, always and forever. It's a, it's a strange thing to do. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was, it was the first, uh, I think it was one of the first times that I've gone, oh, I love this song. No, I don't. Oh, no. What happened? <laughs> fuck, 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 fuck. Unlike the next song. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, that next song is... Bedwin Sound Clash, When the Night Feels My Song. Um, when the Night Feels uh, My Song is uh, the worst song title I've ever heard <laughs> in my life. So bad. You know, you know what? Actually, it's so hilariously pretentious. It made me think of that line in Always Sunny in Philadelphia where Dennis Reynolds says, I'm going to peak so hard that everybody in Philadelphia is going to feel it. <laughs> <laughs> Which could have been a cool name for the song, too. <laughs> but... Um, you, uh, you, you, uh, you dive into this first. I got some things to say about it, but, uh, I want you to, uh, tarnish this first. <laughs> my favorite, um, thing about Bedouin Sound Clash, and that's, I don't know, I think I know two things about Bedouin Sound Clash, and that's it. They, uh, remind me of my brother and this thing. And that was, uh, my brother saw them live. Okay. Um, ages, right around the time of this album. And, um, they were headlining. And, uh, do you remember Cat Empire? Heard the name, don't remember them. Just sort of like fun, ska, upbeat music. Ska-ish, not necessarily ska, but that kind of energy. Okay. Um, Cat Empire opened for them, and Bedouin Sound Clash could not follow them. Like, my brother went there to go see Bedouin Sound Clash and left a Cat Empire fan. Yeah. And then he saw them again the next time they came through, and Bedouin Sound Clash was opening for Cat Empire, even though Bedouin Sound Clash had, like, a, a, a name and no one had heard of Cat Empire. They're okay. just like... They're just like, we just can't follow these guys, so they have to go last because they're too much fun <laughs> and have too much energy. Yeah, I think that sums up Bedouin Sound Clash really well of just like, oh, this is fine. It's not as good as anything else that I'm listening to, but it's, right. uh, it's just foot tapping niceness. They just feel like a bunch of uh, uh, brother-in-laws playing in a garage band. You know, they're just like, ah, that guy's all right. He married my sister. He treats her well. I can't be mad at him. If your brother-in-law um, was a douchebag that your sister really liked, I would agree. <laughs> well, a um, yeah, a, a pretentious one, if nothing else. Uh, but um, yeah, what about you? Because I, 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 
I'm not going to defend this song in any <laughs> no, way. No, no, no. I mean, I, I might be doing the defending here, oddly enough. Um, but yeah, when this song first came on, especially after that Billy Talent song, my first thought was, you know, I think this guy might really like Paul Simon. Um, mm-hmm. I would ha- absolutely hate this song on its own, but in the context of the compilation, it automatically became contender for one of the greatest songs ever written. <laughs> and yeah i it was sort of hard to hate it because at least it was positive even uh as egotistical as the positivity is just when the night (laughs) feels my song jesus god i hate that Um, title something i may do for fun just because it would make me laugh uh once covid is long over like i should be in my late 40s at this point um yeah i'm gonna show up uh I'm going to dress exactly like the Bedouin sound clash singer and crash some first year McGill students birthday rager with an acoustic guitar and trying to get everyone to sing along to the song with me during the birthday toast, (laughs) just uncomfortable looks all around, you know? Um, I feel like this is a song where like you, you like you finger strum it as well. And every now and then you hit the side of the acoustic guitar to try to get everyone clapping. (laughs) Just like in between uh, choruses, just being like, everybody, um, yeah. <laughs> ju- I mean, just to really sell the comedic potential of my Bedouin party crash idea, um, imagine this as a short video meme. Corey's in the middle of a heartfelt speech to his, you know, 40 friends about how much he appreciates their love and friendship on his 20th year. And then 40 year old me awkwardly interrupts his speech with playing the song and trying and, and people are just straight up getting uncomfortable. And then the camera freeze frames on Corey's face. And then this song comes on. How could this happen to me? <laughs> I can't wait to ruin that party is what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm kind of I'm, I'm kind of relieved that you don't hate it because I do find it just like nice. It's just nice. I, I would yeah. on its own. I would say turn yeah. the shit off. But in the compilation, uh-uh. Yeah. <laughs> we're just we're we're jack in the ocean we're grabbing for any door yep <laughs> um do you think that door is about to happen on this next song <laughs> oh my god this song this goddamn song man this song is a prison sentence man <laughs> i was so mad and when i when i looked at it and it was only two and a half minutes i couldn't believe that it was that short i thought this was a seven minute song and that song is untitled by simple plan <laughs> this is the the note that i have first is just oh i hate this dude <laughs> if, if, right if gus if gus were to become its own country then this is the national anthem <laughs> <laughs> i just hate this the only the only um like sort of i guess because simple plan was like a pop punk band <laughs> the only sort of like rock in loose terms singer that i'll allow this type of fucking nonsense from is dallas green and even then he's on thin ice <laughs> but this guy at least dallas green can kind of sing and has like a charm to his voice yeah this guy can fuck off my brain my thoughts can't even grasp the chain of events that led into making this song it's so over the top dramatic that it doesn't even seem possible and um, like, you know, when you try and think about how many galaxies there are in our known universe, mm. it's like that level of Gus to me, like your yeah. brain can't really <laughs> grasp Gus. it. Yeah. Um, like the song sadness is so vast that it, it can't even name its fucking self. It's just untitled. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's a real Ugh. reason why this song uh, became heavily used in meme culture. Um, did you? I don't know if you caught on to that, like how this was like part of like the early days of the internet um you'd find a you know footage of uh some mountain climber falling into a crevice presumably dying and then they would freeze frame and then play the song <laughs> really i didn't know that that's great i thought that you just invented that no no oh, okay. um but yeah I, and the song was also the official song for mothers against drunk driving which the music video oh also i think is supposed to uh, encapsulate that so like unless this song was just commissioned to simple plans like write us a heavily emotional song for our campaign here maybe mm. that's the only way that i can excuse it because at least they did it for money at least this wasn't like a part of them that's <laughs> yeah i i straight up like i i hate this song in a way that i haven't hated a song on big shiny tunes in a long time yeah um it is absolute garbage <laughs> i'm disappointed in canada that it was a hit yes. that it was a big enough hit to make this compilation um you know we could have had a fucking white stripe song right there and we got this yeah. we got this instead furious there's a um part in uh if you know harlan ellison he's a sci-fi writer no. really bleak dystopic sci-fi there's this one short story he has called i have no mouth and i must scream which is how mm -hmm. listening to this compilation feels sometimes if we're being honest but um mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, at one point the ai that has all these people trapped in a simulation um describes how much he hates human beings and i feel his description of hatred is the only thing that really comes close to how much I hate this song. And it's this mm. hate. Let me tell you how much I've come to hate you since I began to live. There are 387 million miles of printed circuits and wafer thin layers that fill my complex. If the word hate was engraved on each nanostrom of these hundreds of millions of miles, it would not equal one, one billionth of the hate I feel for humans <laughs> at this micro instant for you. Hate, hate. <laughs> Thank you, hate robot. <laughs> Unfathomably bleak that um, I, I, I'm incapable of telling if it makes this next song feel like a bummer just being next to it, or if um, this next song also seems somewhat stained by the gust that surrounds it. So um, that next song is Gorillaz, Feel Good Inc. Uh, and yeah, I, I found it confusing to listen to because even though it's more upbeat and more creative than anything on here, it seemed contaminated by the gusts that surrounds it. Uh, I got the order of the songs wrong when I was listening to them and in my notes. And so I had it with Untitled by Simple Plan first and then uh, Bedouin Soundclash. But Jordan was right. It's the opposite. So I heard it coming out of uh, When the Night Feels, Feels My Song. And so I was feeling a little foot tapping. Okay. I was feeling a little upbeat. <laughs> so we approached it from different places. Yeah. So we might have different things. I loved this song. Okay. When it came out to this day, I think Demon Days is a fantastic album. And I have nothing but good memories of it. And there's lines in it that just make me laugh. Sure. And I like, I'll, I quote them to myself to this day, and they just make me chuckle. <laughs> like lining them up like ass cracks just <laughs> makes me laugh. <laughs> such a crazy thing to say. Um, well, I'm, yeah, I'm, glad, I just, I'm glad you could have that experience. I, I feel bad because I wanted to like the song. I was like, oh, at least the gorillas are coming. But um, maybe, yeah, maybe because of uh, the intense hatred of Simple Plan, um, it just felt out of place to me. It felt like a 90s version of fun that 
this compilation proved doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, but, I, uh, yeah, I think you're, you're a victim of programming. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. maybe in an alternate universe, I accidentally listened to the track list wrong and had a better time. <laughs> I um I I have a memory of this song saving a vibe oh. where um I bartended a particularly difficult music festival okay and I was in a van full of bartenders and we were all like various levels of drunk and angry because the day had been difficult and taking the bar down was a pain in the ass and the guy that ran the event though I like him a lot had done a bad job that day and so it was just disorganized and real kick in the dick of a shift. And it was like four in the morning and we're driving back down to London from Leeds mm -hmm. and it was just awful. And I remember we're all sitting in the back, just sort of glum. And then one of the bartenders just reaches forward, grabs the, um, oh, I think she'd been flipping through my CD booklet and, um, and she finds the gorillas and she's like this and she puts on feel good ink. And as soon as it starts playing, she jumps up in the van and just starts dancing. And it's just like, yeah, chuck, chuck. And the whole mood of the whole thing just just on a dime turned around. And we're all passing Bacardi breezers around because it was all that was left from the event. Yeah. And laughing and talking about how shitty a day it was. And so it might be partly due to, due to that moment where it like saved an evening for me. Um but I still, yeah, I, I love this song. I think the gorillas are fantastic. Uh, my friend Tristan, who I shouted out during the last gorillas, who I hadn't listened to mm -hmm. when he was trying to make me a fan, sent me a message um, after that episode being like, am I that Tristan? And I was like, you got damn right you are, buddy. <laughs> I should have been listening to you. And this is just another, just another moment where Tristan absolutely nailed it. Nice. Well, I'm glad you had that experience. Uh, I'm sorry I didn't. <laughs> I am also sorry that you didn't. You're missing out. It's a very, very fun song. Um, unlike <laughs> where we're about to go, Ooh. which I honestly, I mean, we have to talk about it because mm -hmm. that's what we agreed to do. Yep. Uh, but I, um, Santa Monica, which every time I say it makes me feel like it's going to be like Beverly Hills by Weezer. Right. You think um, you're going to have a breezy time by the ocean. <laughs> yeah. Mm, Santa Monica by Theory of a Dead Man. The only band able to make california feel like a real fucking bummer yeah definitely uh, um this is yeah well in line with gus theory i have this idea that on some level this song isn't about a girl leaving him behind like it is on a surface mm -hmm. level but the sadness underneath is maybe more that instead of a girl leaving him behind it's that other versions of people my age were leaving this band behind Right. Like, like <laughs> yeah. this kind of music was falling out of the zeitgeist. And I think you kind of mm. hear it in the emotions of the song. Um, so yeah, my Gus theory is that these guys are actually sad that they're kind of caught in an audience limbo. And, um, if you just, uh, help me, uh, set up this next bit quickly, it's a little quick bit. I, I want you to pretend that, uh, I'm Tyler Connolly, singer of theory of the dead man. Okay. Never heard that name before in my life. That's his name. Of course he's a Tyler. <laughs> of course he's a Tyler. Of course he's I've Tyler. I've never met, I've never seen a more Tyler looking face in my life. Um, so I'm going to be Tyler and I'm going to visit you, my manager, and you have to break the news mm. that, um, we're not going to be uh, selling out large halls anymore. And in fact, on this coming tour, because of the um, airplay of Santa Monica, we're going to be playing small clubs. But, you know, maybe those clubs are, those club dates are at least doing well. Okay. Oh, 
Hey, Bob, I'm, I'm really ex- looking forward to this tour. I can't wait to be playing all those packed halls. It's going to be so fun. Hi. Uh, listen, Tyler, t- take a seat. Okay. Uh, um, love the new record. Yeah. It's great. Absolutely. Santa Monica, standout hit. It's going to be huge. That one came from the heart. Yeah, I could tell. It had, um, it had Tyler's heart written all over it. I have some bad news about the tour. Uh, well, bad news and good news. Okay. Uh, the bad news is uh, we're, we're going to downgrade it. Okay. Uh, we're going to take you out of sort of stadiums and, and bigger theaters, and we're going we're gonna to sort of start to play more intimate venues. And that's the good news is that you'll get more of a connection with your fans. These smaller venues are selling out. They're doing absolutely great, but it is going to be more of a, a small-scale tour than you've been used to. Oh, well, um, well, that's good, at least. Thanks for telling me, Bob. Freeze frame. How could this happen to me? <laughs> the opening guitar thing. <laughs> okay. Where it's like riff, riff, <laughs> bling, 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 bling. Yep. <laughs> and riff, riff, bling, 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 bling. To me, that feels like the kind of thing that a teenager makes up and is very proud of themselves until they learn how to play guitar. <laughs> yep. Um, is, is that, am I accurate in my description of the song smithery? Exactly, but I think that he probably only had a few chords at his disposal and just like Chad Kroger essentially wrote the same song over and over again. Yeah, this they are not going for Grateful Dead levels of jamming. <laughs> that is for sure. Okay. Okay, fair enough. Um next question, how did they sell so many albums? I mean, there's only real one real answer to that and it's the fact that Theory of a Dead Man are a psyop. <laughs> Big shiny conspiracies. <laughs> it made me think about the nature of this type of song and who they're singing to and who they think they're singing about. And it's that thing of like, A, he can't really sing. And so he is exactly what made me appreciate Brandon Flowers. Right. Uh, being able to hit that extra thing mm-hmm. is because he just sits in that fucking middle air and I hate it. Um, but also, these this is music by people who don't understand. They've glorified the whiskey drunk. Mm-hmm. And they've never actually sat with him and realized how fucking boring he is. And you're saying this as somebody who knew the patrons of the whiskey bars all throughout North America and England. Yeah, 100%. I've spent time with these people. I've been these people. I've never been more boring than I'm the whiskey drunk guy at the bar. <laughs> it's all of your stories are modeling everything has this like oh so much meaning it's nothing it means nothing to anybody your problems aren't special you're just drunk yeah and because it's whiskey drunk and you're drinking it neat it gives you gravitas that you wouldn't otherwise have tyler the deflator (laughs) 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 yeah i just it's it's if for anyone listening to this, just stop it with the, like your Bukowskis and all that bullshit. It's not, they're not interesting people. The interesting drunks are the ones that are drinking red wine. Those guys have stories to tell. The ones that are just drinking straight whiskey are boring dudes and you don't need to waste your time listening to their pointless stories. Next up, we got Alexis on fire or Alex is on fire, depending on your mood. Yeah. No one knows for sure. No transitory. This isn't my kind of music now or back then, but I have to give it credit for at least feeling 
somewhat real and raw and not hacky like every other song on here. Mm-hmm. And the emotion is not really completely gust to me, but more strangely like sober and clear eyed and strangely hopeful somehow, if that makes mm. sense. Um, cause I think they keep repeating a line in here, which is that something about like tomorrow is always going to come or something, mm. which offers a lot more than <laughs> yeah, <laughs> some of yeah. the other songs in here, but, um, it's not for me, but I, I don't fully hate it. It's just, it's that, that's the feeling. It's like, this isn't for me. I have the exact same thing where it's, um, it seems like it's, it's something that I feel like I could have liked at some point, but I know that I never would have, mm-hmm. which is a very strange realm to occupy. Yeah. But yeah, it doesn't do anything for me. Um, it reminds me of like a slightly more honest, um, or maybe, no, not less earnest, but more honest, like a guy version of Evanescence, but with more metal and worse singing. <laughs> Yeah, kind um, of, but I think they... And I don't I don't mean that as an insult. Yeah. Like, just as a... They just sort of occupy a similar space for me. Totally. Uh, but I think they also occupied a weird space in the Canadian music industry. Like, I, I have a feeling that big, shiny tunes, if they um, didn't have the numbers in front of them, they would have preferred to not include this somehow, but mm. they had to because of how they probably had a fan base that, um, yeah, that would have possibly made for more sales of this compilation uh so or given it given the compilation a little bit of uh credibility yeah from what i remember at least they were like a cool band mm-hmm. to a degree like they had a pretty pretty strong young following yeah um that wasn't necessarily radio based um uh which makes it more sturdy and impressive because without that radio play people have to really want to find you yeah to find you so uh yeah, I wonder I wonder if it was some of that, but yeah, again, nothing I don't really have anything bad to say about them. They're just just not for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um fuck you theory of a dead man. Lights <laughs> on fire. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, um next song Middle of Nowhere by Hot Hot Heat. So the heat is the heat is so hot. <laughs> Ooh, this heat. I mean, th- his hair's all over the place. It's uh it's humid out there. Um It's a dry heat. <laughs> So I have an interesting angle with this band because these guys were from Victoria. Um, oh, I didn't know that. I knew some of them through the music scene there. Um, and there's this weird aspect to this band, which I don't think most people who uh, got into Hot Hot Heat outside of Victoria would know about. But um, when I was in high school, I had friends who were uh, obsessed with this band, but it was because at the time... They had a different singer. They were more of an arty synth punk band. The guy who sings Middle of Nowhere, Steve Bays, he was originally just the keyboardist. But they had this singer named Maddie Marnick, who, uh, you know, a small legion of Victoria teenagers just considered this sort of stoner genius because his lyrics were <laughs> really weird. Uh, the music was pretty dark and arty. And then at mm. some point, the whole band decided to kick out the lead singer and just swing for the stars in terms of... Uh, being commercial and it Mm. was you know in a small tight-knit music scene like victoria it was definitely one of those things where probably a lot of people were jealous and probably a lot of people uh um, felt betrayed by their (laughs) ambitions to actually have a music career because the amount of shit talking that happened in victoria when this band decided to go for a more more commercial sound uh was legendary uh (laughs) (laughs) legendary these guys got made fun of so much in victoria 
Um, and I definitely took part in it sometimes behind uh, their backs. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> that said, I can appreciate it as a well-written song now. And I do think that most of the heavy lifting of the song is done uh, by Dante DeCaro, the guitarist in the band at the time who ended up joining Wolf Parade um, oh, cool. after this album. Um, and I, yeah, now that I'm twice as old as when uh, these guys uh, changed, um, I guess, management <laughs> within the band, uh, I can appreciate this as a song. But at the time, mm-hmm. um, man, uh, Victoria was mean. <laughs> I love that the the, um, the 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 band that like changes to get out of the small scene. Yeah. And everyone's like, how dare they? And all of a sudden the band that they were is like, the greatest band that never was. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they would have changed the face of music if they just kept playing these tiny venues in Victoria. Oh, totally. There is definitely somebody who lives in Victoria to this day uh, who's way too old to be saying things like, oh, Hot Hot Heat. Yeah, I mean, they were cooler when it was Maddie singing. Yeah. They were yeah, better yeah. when they, could. They, were, they were better in the Maddie Marnock years, which may be true uh, in some mm. ways. Check it out. You decide. But, but this but this myth making bullshit that people do where they feel betrayed by people deciding to live their own life. Yeah. Like, What's well, ironically ironically the hatred that's like put on bands in those moments is also what fuels them getting bigger too. <laughs> yeah. Like if you didn't yeah, we'll if you didn't want them you. to get big, just don't even talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this was, I, I thought this was a really fun song. I forgot that I knew it. Oh. Uh, and then, and and then um, it started playing and I found myself singing along to it. And I was like, oh, damn. I yeah. just, I, Hot Hot Heat had just fallen out of my head. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, the, um, the, the vocalist has sort of Pete Doherty from the Libertines vibes. I know he's come up a few times in the last few episodes, but uh, obviously less British, but that's, that's the, that's the singer that he reminded me of. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's just foot tapping goodness. You know, it's not, it's not offensive. It's not life changing. It's just a fun fun little tune from that um that danceable slice of rock that we that we got a brief moment of on big shiny tunes nine yeah <laughs> it's now been relegated to one or two songs here and that's a very kind and um mature attitude as opposed to people in victoria who considered them jezebels <laughs> Yeah. Well, to be fair, I didn't hear the Matt McCarnick or whatever his name is version. So, you know, Matty Marnick release, release the Marnick cut. (laughs) Totally. Um, Next song, third to last song, pen penultimate Um, little sister by Queens of the Stone Age. Yeah. Wanted to like it Mm -hmm. because I like the Queens of the Stone Age in theory. The verses didn't speak to me at all. Chorus, like chorus I enjoyed. Mm hmm. But uh, but most of it, like the only the only thing that really stood out to me about it was uh, the woodblock. I was like, hey, woodblock, tick 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 tick. Rock and roll with a woodblock, hell yeah! That was it. I just it had very few thoughts about this. Even that doesn't really make this song fun. Um, mm. I had two questions when I was listening to this, which was, am I wrong, or are these kind of creepy lyrics? Um, guaranteed i don't remember any lyrics but josh homie is a creepy dude yeah uh, my second question was do gingers have souls okay unanswerable uh science is still out so that said i don't care that this song isn't fun uh and, mm. and it weirdly takes up the same space in my brain that i have for some stone temple pilot songs or other cool sounding alt rock songs but that's probably as nice as i'm going to allow myself to be towards a ginger at this point in my life all right. Well, uh, good to see that uh, some uh, prejudices die hard, I guess. If you have uh, red hair and you're listening to the show, please stop. 
Wow. Okay. I don't second that. So just mute the parts where Jordan's on and just listen to me. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, that's it. I mean, Queens of Stone Age, yeah, one of those bands that, um, I mean, like I said, I loved the last one and Songs for the Deaf was an album that I really liked. I, I think I like the idea of them more than I um, have ever really gotten into them as a band. The only album other than Songs for the Deaf that I ever checked out was the latest one that was done by Mark Ronson. Yeah. And they sort of danced it up a little bit and it was kind of, you know, it was fun. But again, I listened to it like three or four times and then moved on. Yeah. Well, all I'm um, trying to say is uh, that dude kicked this woman in the face once at one of their shows and he has red hair. Do gingers have souls? I don't know. Whoa. Wait a bear. What? Hold on. He kicked a lady in the face? You don't remember that? That was like uh, no. this like news controversy four years ago or something. Um, just some photographer that he got pissed at, kicked her right in the face. Yeah. Jesus Christ. I could be wrong. No, I didn't hear well, about that. We'll, we'll see if I'm right later. And if I'm wrong, I'll edit it out because that's what I always do. <laughs> so this next song by some band I don't even remember existing when I lived in Montreal. Uh, Mobile or Mobile. I don't know how they pronounce it. Yeah, could uh, be either with Montreal Calling, and this is the 21st century version of when this compilation would put in some random bad Canadian band on the compilation <laughs> toward the end. Yeah. What was your experience listening to Montreal Calling? Well, my, mine actually, mine, mine isn't as harsh as yours, oh. and I think it's because it occupies the same, like, this is where we try to bury the shitty Canadian band in the compilation spot. Um, and I think maybe only because it's in that spot, then I'm like, you know what? It's better. It's better than yellow card. <laughs> so, Absolutely not. <laughs> so I just like I, I it felt like a like a Canadian killers kind of thing. I hated the breakdown. When they slowed down, I really actively yeah. hated that part. But um, the rest of it, I was just like, eh, fine, fine, whatever. Fine. I'll never hear from you again. And I can tell that from this song. And I'm amazed you made it this far. Kudos. Um, but uh yeah, didn't just didn't care as opposed to hating it. Chris, I'm going to get in, dig into you now for shirking your responsibilities. Uh, this is not about <laughs> giving people like this passes. We must we must continue the hatred uh, in the same way that we've hated on Serial Joe because these guys, even though they weren't teenagers, which somehow makes it more egregious, um, <laughs> this is like the corporate version, like the corporate Canadian version of Franz Ferdinand Interpol Kaiser Chiefs. Yep. Um, yeah, I'll give you that. Yep. So, I mean, first off, the song, in my eyes, has nothing to do with 2005 Montreal. Like the the line where he's saying, take, take, uh, come let me out of here. Take me out of here. No, man. Montreal, take me in. Give me drugs and yeah. parties and eight years of bad decisions. <laughs> like, yeah. are you kidding me? This is Who not. Who would want to leave that? Like if there, if we could make a meme for the song, it would be this. Uh, so first panel, uh, <laughs> it's the son saying, mom, did you pick me up the Kaiser Chiefs record? And then the second panel, the mom's like, sorry, son, they were out, but I got you mobile, mobile. And then the son's like, oh, no. How could this happen to me? <laughs> or this is a, another, another meme version of that is, uh, mom, can I have the Kaiser Chiefs? And she goes, we have Kaiser Chiefs at home. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Not surprised that this band... Uh, Maybe maybe they got to open up for the Arcade Fire ones. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, probably. I mean, yeah, they were clearly going nowhere. They didn't. I feel like they didn't hurt anybody, and they weren't. They weren't as egregious as some of the past ones. So I guess maybe I let them slide unfairly. But <laughs> so why don't you slide? 
<laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> That's what you get for fucking with the Goo Goo Dolls, man. Never forget. Do, don't you goo goo me, you son of a bitch. <laughs> um, all right. So last track. Yeah. Um, I uh, so it's it's Dirty Water by Chaos featuring Sam Roberts. Um, I feel like. I'm mad at them for choosing this song because I I really liked Chaos. I loved Exit. Mm -hmm. I liked the Drift for Rebellion. Um, even up to parts of Hymns from Atlantis, I enjoyed. Okay. Um, but this one, the hit was Crab Crab Bucket. That was a hit. That was all over the radio. That was a fun feel good. You know better song. than I. <laughs> it was. It was fucking. It was really like pretty big. I mean, they basically just ripped off a Cure okay. riff. <laughs> um for the beat yeah. uh but you know we, we made a fun song on top of it nice. but um but i feel like they the only reason that they allowed this song is because it's tethered to the big shiny universe via sam roberts um and so they picked a clearly worse song yeah just to make it uh theoretically fit better with whatever they think this fucking compilation is um I mean, of all the songs on this album, it's one of the only three that I'm kind of okay with closing it. Not because it's the best song, but just because at least it's like kind of upbeat. Right. Um, and so I didn't want to slit my wrists at the end of the album. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I think in a in a different track listing on a different compilation, this song could have worked. But here it just comes across as a real afterthought to me. Um, mm. And yeah, I mean, the song itself is kind of sad, which is obviously well in line with the Gus vibes, but mm -hmm. something that is curious to me. And again, one of these things we'll probably never know unless somebody, unless the wizard of Oz behind big shiny tunes comes forth one day to tell us all the secrets <laughs> um, <laughs> is that I read that on big shiny tunes 10. Um, I'm just going to ring it up here for a second on big shiny tunes 10. Uh, this is straight from Wikipedia. Again, we're not journalists. I meant to talk about this at the start and I totally forgot. Thank you for catching it. When the track listing was originally shown via online music stores, such as my music, don't remember what that is, before no the official site opened, songs by Green Day, Audio Slave System of a Down, Arcade Fire, mm. Beck and Foo Fighters were shown to be on the album. So I wonder if... Oh shit, that's two of the bands from my uh, notable exceptions. Well, there you go. I wonder if Arcade Fire just decided to not be on this compilation. <laughs> um because yeah, i can see that yeah like the choices and the decision making process behind how this whole thing felt does not seem in line with um the music zeitgeist that i was getting swept into and most of my peers and people uh were partaking in um i don't mm. know who this was made for and it feels very confusing mm. but the only thing that you can really latch onto as a guiding principle of big shiny tunes 10 is Gus theory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's modern Gus theory. Yeah. It really, I, th I think you're right that they, it doesn't seem like they know who they want to buy this album anymore because it was cohesive for a few years there. Yeah. Early on, it made a lot of sense. Then it got a bit off. And then like in the middle ones that we hated, at least they knew who they wanted to sell it to. Yeah. Um, but in this one, it's all over the shop and you can't like, there's no fan that liked all these songs. Right. But which begs the question, do you think they, chose uh montreal calling and sam roberts as the last two songs because they at least wanted to gesture towards that like well montreal's cool we know what's happening in montreal guys uh hey hello yeah it feels um as opposed to what they could have done which is 
just taken a stand and put on songs that they like, regardless of the fans that might have liked it, and just made a great compilation. They, <laughs> it feels like they just um, uh, were trying to appease a bunch of different areas. Yeah. Uh, as as opposed to make an album. Um, so they were like hoping that a Chaos fan might buy the album and hoping that a Theory of a Dead Man might buy the album, hoping that a Gorillaz fan, and um, just trying to pull all those guys in haphazardly as opposed to just being like, this is a good album. Yeah. Um, and that's how that's how things fail. You know, it was trying to cater to everybody. Well, and e- um, even, just, even just looking ahead and the fact that there's only, I mean, I say only, that's oh, still yeah. whatever four times 18 is, uh, yeah. like 80 something. <laughs> uh, we still got uh, four more of these to go through, but uh, just to go back to what I kind of said towards the beginning, um, there is something that I'm feeling more about Big Shiny Tunes 10 as it existed then, uh, which in retrospect feels like the compilation is somehow subconsciously soundtracking the sadness of their own demise. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it's, we're nearing the end, right? Of this yeah. um, series as a whole. And it shows. And yeah, I'm sure they are. It's going to be one of those things where I'm afraid. I can't, I'm not looking at the track listing yet, but I have a suspicion they're just going to keep doubling down on the Gus until. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, you, you would hope that it would go like when a person knows that they're about to die and they just start taking risks and doing all the things that they never had the courage to do before. <laughs> yeah. Like a bucket but, uh, list. Yeah. Let's, but let's I don't. Let's put on a I, Leonard I, Cohen I can't see live these guys going that way. Cut. That would be so funny. <laughs> but if they labeled it as like Nickelback, Limp Bizkit, <laughs> yes. Puddle of Mud, and then it was just a Leonard Cohen live album. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It's just the entirety of the cremation of Sam, Sam McGee by different, uh, artists. It's like Chad Kroger so reading. Uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah. So many, so many ways this compilation could have at least, um, somehow turned it around towards the end, but oof, oof, as yeah. always. I don't have high hopes. Yeah. I do not have high hopes. <laughs> so that was big shiny tunes. 10. The last song again was dirty water, which, uh, I feel like I soaked in for at least, 18 songs, don't you? Yeah, that maybe that was like a Pavlovian, or no, Pavlovian's not the right word, but uh, some sort of subconscious move by the programmer. Yeah. Just to be like, do you feel filthy? I feel filthy. Absolutely filthy. This song, this this compilation has nothing to lose at this point. Throw ba- throwback. Yeah, and everything to gain. No one's listening anymore. No yeah. one's listening to Big Shiny Tunes. Yeah. How could this happen to us? <laughs> <laughs> I I still have that stuck in my head. I hate you for that. <laughs> Walking around my house, how could this happen to me? <laughs> so things turn around next week. Uh, if you look at the playlist, we got a lot of fun things coming up. The pi- oh fuck no, sorry. I was looking at um, best of the sixties. Uh, never mind. Oh yeah, very different album. <laughs> I th- very different. I-, I think next week might be the episode we get doxxed because if I've learned anything in uh, some of the pre-research I've done, it's that thirty seconds to Mars fans hate any detractors of that band. So we might be fucked. <laughs> I have heard that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I still want to come in with an open mind. Maybe thirty seconds to Mars will be our favorite band. I don't really remember their songs, but um, no. Jared Leto can eat my ass. Jared Leto's a bad person who makes bad things. That's going to be uh, the straw that broke the camel's back of this yeah. podcast. <laughs> even that. We're not, we're not even going to get to criticize the song because just that comment alone will be enough. To- yeah. <laughs> well, it's been a joy making this podcast with you, Jordan. Uh, 
Oh my God, corn's on the next one. Corn's on the next one. I'm calling it here. I think that might be the only saving grace of this uh, next Big Shiny Tunes, but we'll we'll see. I guess no. There's there's a couple tracks I like. I like the Billy Talent song on this next one. If it's you a say Devil you liked Wolf Mother, I I am going to have problems with you. But we'll here's <laughs> okay. We'll we'll talk about Wolf Mother on the episode yeah. because it's it's tied to an event for me, and so uh, Woman is a very fun song for me. Okay, but we'll we'll get into it. We'll get into. It. We got some Sam Roberts, and then a, oh Metrics on here. I don't remember that song, but I remember um, Emily Hain. Is that is that the name of the singer? I think Haynes. Yeah. Haynes, yeah, I remember she uh, she came into Sparrow and was very, very nice. So I have, um, and also she's in Broken Social Scene, which I love. Other than that, I haven't even heard of, I don't know, I want to say a third of these bands. Yep. I have no idea who Under Oath is. I have no idea no. who Angels and Airwaves are. Uh, Blue October? No. What the fuck? All right, well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's a Taking Back Sunday, I don't remember. Um Yellow card is back again. Oh man, what an episode! Oh, this, and next week's going to be great. Yeah, and also I de- I will demand next week you publicly apologize for saying that would be the last we heard of Mobile because they're back again too. You've got to be kidding me! Where, where, where? I don't see them on here. Track number ten. Track number ten. Oh my God! Yeah, they're tucked in between All American Rejects and Sam Roberts. You know what, Mobile? I I I respect your 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 ability to just keep fucking going. Good for you. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, we're doing this every Tuesday, unless one of us has a breakdown, which at this point could be imminent. We're we're not sure, but um, yeah, there's only three left, but uh, it looks like it's going to be the hardest three. But then we got four volumes of decade retro- retrospectives. <laughs> So. Yeah, nineties and eighties, baby. You want to get your you want to get your wedding dance party on. You want to you want to feel like you're at your high school reunion. Those are the last few episodes of this. Um, thanks for listening. Make sure to rate and review. As always, it really helps. Uh, uh, tell your friends about us. Tweet about us. Uh, listening numbers have been have been great, but we can always use more. Um, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with Big Shiny Tunes Eleven. See you next week, folks. Take care. We love you. Hey, what kind of mood are you guys in right now? Are you guys in a good mood? Yeah? You feeling good? You feeling sexy? Good. It's perfect. So, we made a, a video not too long ago for a new song of ours. Anybody up there hear of a song called Untitled? Well, we're gonna play that song for you right now. And if you know the song, feel free to sing along with me. It goes like this.